and welcome back to Ranking 76, where we are continuing to rank the most notorious and infamous Western figures in American history. I am Eric, and I have survived choking on Snapple, so we can do a second episode. And I'm Matt, and I watched you choke on that said Snapple. It was real touch and go there for a bit. Uh, that did not taste well. That diet Snapple will really get you. So I was right on the it. outro, so I was like, you okay? You're going to make it? If I die, please come up with a better story than died Snapple. <laughs> he was reading the cap of a Snapple, didn't like it, better. and choked. That's not better. Anyway, we're going to finish the first half of the story from Tenskwatawa because, uh, to be honest with you, it was a bit depressing, wasn't it? So we're going to finish with one of my absolute favorite people in American history, and I'll be honest, I have a little bit of a, of a history crush. So as I'm reading this and going through this, just imagine the uh, popping little hearts above my head and in my eyes, because uh, I do love me some Tecumseh. So we're going to leave 2021 on a high note. And obviously, if they would listen to the last episode, they did hear a little bit about Tecumseh like myself. So we're not going into this episode truly blind. Right. There is a lot of stuff we need to recover, but we're just going to touch on it. So this will be less background episode and more actual what Tecumseh did. So um, anyway, Tecumseh was born in the Ohio River Valley in 1768. That same year is the same year that the Shawnees uh, had their land sold out from under them from the from the Iroquois Nation at Fort Stanwood. His life is going to be full of premonition. And it starts off right away. As his mother is going into labor, the two women who will be helping his sister give birth see a shooting star sweep across the sky and into the western horizon. He is born soon after. A comet is actually a pretty big deal in, China, in Shawnee philosophy, as a comet takes the form of a panther stalking its prey. The animal is best known for its hunting ability and for people who are known for their hunting. Uh, if your name is derived from a shooting star or a panther, this would make you really, it would make the other little boys jealous with name envy. When Tecumseh is six or seven years old, his father is killed by the Virginia militia. As his father is dying and maybe putting a little bit too much pressure on a then six or seven year old, he asks his firstborn son to preserve the dignity of his family and to lead his brothers into battle. Six year old. To add to the tragedy, Tecumseh's mother is also pregnant with the triplets, one of which will be Lalawithika, the future prophet. After a lost battle at a place called Point Pleasant, the Shawnee are ultimately in a tough place. They're really divided amongst each other. The way tribes are structured, yes, they all have chiefs, but they're very independent-minded, so you can break off from your chief at any time and essentially move on and go somewhere else. And then you can like your own if you choose to follow them. This ultimately happens with the Shawnee as some want to continue to fight and the others just want to move away. Tecumseh's mother is one of them. Unfortunately, she doesn't take Tecumseh with her. So not only did Tecumseh lose his father when he's six, six or seven years old, when he's nine years old, his mother ultimately abandons him, leaving him and his brother Lalawithika in the care of his uncle. Was there a reason for that, or? It was just the divide. They didn't want to move out west, so she decided to just leave with another section of the tribe and just 
but not bring her kids with. That's really weird to me. Now, I don't know enough to confidently answer why she left her sons, but I think it was because Tecumseh was the, and Lalawithika were sons of a chief that maybe they were being groomed. Oh, and because he was a chief, they might have been like, well, if you, you can leave, that's fine, but I'm keeping the kids. Yes, but he's like nine years old. So he's still he's still a boy, but he could be like the next generation coming up is all I can say. But yes, it seems very odd to me that she just left her child with an uncle. Now her uncle is his uncle is a war chief. Um that we're gonna spend the next couple minutes talking about. So And maybe that was just that thing back in the day, like leave the males with the males because they're warriors kind of thing. I would say if there is anyone from the Shawnee Nation that is listening to this right now, reach out. I'd love to know this answer. I just, I couldn't find it. So if you understand how or why that was a, a common thing uh, or why that was the thing, please reach out. I would, I'd love to know, but I just don't feel confident enough to answer that. So um, somebody inform me. So Tecumseh lives up to his really cool panther name and is apparently one hell of a hunter. When he is 16 years old, in one single hunting trip, he kills 16 buffalo with a single quiver of arrows. He is so good, and maybe we're starting to see Lalawithika beginning to drown in the shadow of his brother. Lalawithika and a friend actually challenge him to a hunt. They then say that they can kill just as many deer as Tecumseh. They set out over the weekend, Lalawithika and the friend come back with three deer apiece, feeling pretty good about themselves until they see Tecumseh, who comes back with 40. <laughs> so they come back. Oh, man, I could just see it. Dude, we each got three. There's no way. And then he has one for, what, every freaking person in the tribe? Um, I would like to think he carried them all back on his back at the same time. Like he just probably tied them all together, started a big chain, you know, dragging it on the ground. Right, and just pulling it with ease like it's a little red wagon. Right, it's like one of those uh, handkerchiefs you pull out of your, your sleeve, you know, it just keeps and just going get, and going and going. Here's another deer. You get a deer, and you get a deer. Oh, you brought six? That's cute. That's real. That's adorable, guys. I also want to know how he killed them, if it was traps, or at what point do you start blaming the deer he probably he that would be hilarious. He ended up he really just found like a a little hole where they all died. Yeah, but like, can you imagine? So if he's if he is shooting them all, um, and you see a little deer massacre, and you're another deer, like maybe don't go there. I don't know. I don't want to blame too much blame on an animal, but Come read on. the room, deer. <laughs> read the room. After the colonists declare their independence, many alliances split on their on their allegiance. Tecumseh is too young to fight, but would have had memories of the constant fighting. The Treaty of Paris is signed, and there is no mention of Native Americans, but uh, it does mention the land that the Native Americans are living on, and Britain concedes all that land to the Americans. The Americans start moving in at an alarming rate. This is where the Shawnee and other tribes meet at the Council at the Glaze, which we talked about last episode. Uh, and this is also where the this is the same time frame where the understanding between the British and the tribes are met. Little Turtles War begins in 1876. Tecumseh is still pretty young. He's 18. He's 
just turning into a manhood. So Tecumseh is allowed to come fight, but he's just not old enough to start fighting. During the lead up to a battle at Buchanan Station, Cheezakow, who was Tecumseh's uncle and mentor, tells his warriors that he has a dream that he would die the next attack at exactly at noon, that he would be hit with a bullet in the center of the forehead, and that he would told that no one would be allowed to wait for him. And if his dream is true, the Indians would be allowed to take the fort. Tecumseh urges uncle not to go into the fight, but Chizakau replied, I do not wish to be buried at home. And then continued, I prefer that the fowls of the air of this land should pick my bones. So I accept this fate. I'm going to go and get blazing. How old do you have to be um, in the Shawnee Nation to go into battle? Teen. Teenager? Yeah. Uh, so he would have been 18. And I don't know with him, because he seems like a special case throughout his entire life. Because <laughs> what, he was born in 1768. This is around 1780, late 1780s. So. Yeah, right around the right around that 20 years so um he's definitely he's gaining influence or he's he's near fighting age so back to buchanan station a midnight rain is actually carried out 600 warriors attack buchanan station and inside are only 15 armed men with several families despite the vast number difference the shawnee are beaten back and are and are forced to retreat True to his vision, however, Chizakau is shot in the forehead and it is eventually killed in the attack. The Shawnee do not take the fort. It's probably a good time to mention why the difference is, we touched on a little bit in Tenskatawa's episode, but Native Americans do not do well attacking forts, like ever, simply because the way Native Americans attack or fight they're very independent base. They're good at ambushing, doing a quick attack, and then retreating. To attack a fort, you need essentially artillery to break it in, to go to, to break it if you can't get inside the gate. It's not like the Native Americans have artillery, so it's difficult for them to do. So you see that's why Boonesboro, it was very much the same thing. Natives just can't break. If you can't breach the walls... Did they have any... Um rifles or guns yeah, rifles rifles musket but nothing that's going to break through you know uh, nothing that's going to be uh, heavily fortified for it yeah they would need to either find an access point to break into or like break in through a gate like it don't think they, they wouldn't be able to just take down a wall yeah. and storm it that way they have gunpowder because they have muskets but i don't think they would have i don't believe they would have used it to like blow it so fighting goes on for about eight years and we're going to get to the battle of fallen timbers <clears throat> in august of 1794 which we mentioned very briefly in Tenskwatawa's episode this is the definitive fight near modern day fort wayne indiana the americans have about three thousand men inside of a fort and they're going up against chief blue jacket and approximately 1100 warriors tecumseh is included and this will be his first fight as the american this is very similar to Tenskwatawa's episode as he is also in the same fight, but there's a little bit more on what Tecumseh actually did. The strategy for Fallen Timbers to break in is to divide the warriors into three groups. 250 men divide right. This is the band of Ojibwe. 
uh, a band of Ojibwe go to the left, and 500 in the center, kind of in a half-moon attack. They approach the fort uh, in a half-moon formation, creeping into the night. Tecumseh is given an advanced post, which means he will be one of the first to actually fight. On the morning of August 20th, it had been raining all day and all night. The battle had actually been postponed because of the rain. When the rain stopped, Tecumseh is said to be the first warrior to shot, but that seems a little romanticized, but he may have. He raises his rifle and fires. Future archenemy William Henry Harrison is inside the fort and runs up to the commanding officer and says, I'm afraid you will go into the fight yourself and forget to give me the necessary field orders. The field commander is said to have said to Harrison, Recall the standing order for the day is charging the damn rascals with bayonets. So their plan was to charge them. Yes, so after the natives attacked, the Americans were going to charge them. Or if it all, at the very, if something goes, happens to me, we attack, we are charging. We, because the Americans have 3,000 inside the fort going up against a group of 1,100. Right, they're way, the uh, Shawnee are way outnumbered. Right. This being Tecumseh's first fight, after he fires his first shot, nerves might have been a little high. High enough that when he's loading the musket, he loads the ball in first, the gunpowder second. Because there is nothing for the gun, for the, when you pull the trigger, the gunpowder can't ignite because it's hitting the ball, and essentially makes the weapon useless. Tecumseh is forced to throw down his musket and fall back into the brush, meeting up with the band of Delawares who don't seem to be aware that there's actual fighting going on because they fell back the night before from the rain. They are busy eating breakfast. Tecumseh runs up to them and demands for a musket. Once he is handed the firearm, he sees the Americans are in sight. The men who are eating breakfast, however, the Delawares, flee. Tecumseh fires a shot and is forced to do the same. He continues, this continues until the natives are just outside uh, the British Fort Miami. And if you remember from last episode, this is where the this is where the tribe, the Confederacy, goes up to the British fort. And they say, no thank you, sorry, full occupancy. Why do you guys, why, yeah, why are you here? We're not fighting the Americans, we don't want war. No, 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 no. So, that's crazy to me that they didn't hear anything, they were just chilling, eating breakfast. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, like, the white noise that goes on outside of that, but I'm going to assume they were a couple miles back. Oh, okay. I don't. I think was thinking, I was thinking, like, you know, in the tree line a little bit. Right, I don't think that would have been just blatantly obvious, like, what, what bullet fire? Breakfast, mm, eggs, I don't hear anything. So after the, the natives are forced to scatter outside of Fort Miami, this, of course, strikes a major blow to the supposed alliance between the natives and the British. The loose confederacy of tribes uh, soon negotiate a peace with the Americans. The peace is negotiated as the Treaty of Greenville. So we talked about this in Tenskwatawa's episode. The nine chiefs relinquish all but the northwestern territory of Ohio. The treaty allows the U.S. to build forts and trading posts on Indian land, and it also requires that the natives re- abandon their hunting and to farm exclusively. Tecumseh's tribe do not sign the treaty. However, they're still expected to follow the treaty itself. Was that just like a, a an expectation, or did they um, did the tribes know that as well? 
the tribes would disagree with it. And then to be honest, like anyone who doesn't sign some, like, I don't think I can say it enough how independent these tribes are. Um, we're going to see later on just a lot of them have their own politics. They have their own way of thinking. Some believe that the Americans are actually good uh, or actually like could be good for their tribe. So um, for the Shawnee, if if you're part of a tribe that doesn't sign the treaty, well, I it's not like you're viewing yourself as the losing side. There was not two sides to this to this battle or this war. There was not the Americans versus the Native Americans. To the to the natives' eyes, it was the Americans versus the Delawares, the Potawatomis, the Shawnees. The you know name the tribe. So I didn't right. sign the treaty. Why do I need to take part of it? The Americans right. see. Well, we just defeated you in battle. These are the chiefs that said we can have this land. This is all the proof we need. Okay, so because some of them signed a treaty, the Americans were like, okay, we're good. Yes, which makes sense if you're actually looking at, like, the American side of this. And how, like, battles would usually end. You're right. If whoever wins the war. When you win a war. So, like, when, if the U.S. would fight France and beat France, we beat all of France. We didn't just beat um, Paris. We didn't just beat county we didn't just beat you know this one little section we beat all of france right so these are the people these are the leaders that so they were just under the assumption that that was pretty much the same thing but in native americans eyes because their tribes were so different they saw it different i would the second part is true i would say the americans knew that each tribe was independent they weren't going to go for it but it didn't matter Right, because they wanted the land. Right. They wanted the land, which is what we talked about. So, um, again, they're able to establish trading posts. We went into last episode just how much of a disaster that was for Native Americans, uh, that the Americans were essentially trying to make them sedentary people who would basically force them into debt that they could only sell uh, land back to the U.S. as the only way to get out of their debt. Not a high point. After the Treaty of Greenville is signed, Tecumseh is rapidly gaining influence as he develops into manhood and his thoughts begin to mature. As he had learned fighting with other tribes, he begins to think of his him as a native first and a Shawnee second. Which, after what we just talked about, is completely different than how most Native Americans or indigenous peoples would feel. He is a native first and a Shawnee second. Very much how today, we are Americans first, and a New Yorker second, or a South Dakotan second. It's it's a different way of thinking than most would. And he was definitely in the minority of thinking. Correct. He, he hated the thought that one native trying to be able to sell another's land, only looking out for one tribe, was going to be the doom for the rest of all of the tribes. He begins to have these thoughts of maybe even forming a singular native nation, not dissimilar from the new American nation that is still developing itself. Tecumseh may have been a difficult person to get to know. He was very much of an idealist and really has no times for feelings or how you feel about anything. In a brief way to put it, 
He's kind of a prick. He would reject many women simply because he did not wish to be burdened with a woman. Uh, he does so, in fact, when he is younger, he's living with a band of Chickamauga, and he may and he possibly takes on his first wife and possibly has a child. However, he simply abandons the child when the fighting is done. Now, you can say his mother did it to him. This is probably like a similar situation. Cultural thing. 1796, he takes a Shawnee woman to be his wife named Mamata. His brother, Tenskwatawa, now Lalawithika, would describe her as, quote, perhaps not the most handsomest nor the most agreeable lady in the world. So he didn't like her? Uh, didn't seem like she was a looker. Okay. They do have a son. Mamata dies shortly after birth. Tecumseh is not particularly impressed with his new son, as later in life, after all of the fighting we're about to cover, uh, he would say that his skin, that he is too fair like a white man. Near the end of his life, Tecumseh would even not recommend his son to be chief for that reason. Jeez. Hard. Which, last I checked, uh, his son has no control over <laughs> right. the complexion of his skin. So, yeah. When Tecumseh takes on another wife, he insists that they sleep in separate beds. After one particular hunting trip, he returns home and comes home with a turkey for his wife to pluck and to serve for dinner for friends. During dinner, Tecumseh saw that she had simply missed three small feathers while plucking them. So he ignores this when they're eating, but after the party, just as the guests are leaving, Tecumseh handed her her clothes and told her to leave. When asked why, he said, you must go. I am ashamed of you. We must separate forever. So because she missed a couple feathers on a chicken, he essentially divorced her. Yep. You've embarrassed me by three feathers. Huh. Pride is very, very strong in him. Yeah, it is. His next wife was named White Wing, who was also described as rather homeless. Uh, Tecumseh leaves her because she is unable to conceive. So at this point, you could say Tecumseh is an idealist and thus doesn't have time for family matters. Until you add on later on in his life, he does start sleeping around, and this is a quote, he is unable to withstand the temptations held out onto him by the opposite sex. He became engaged in a great deal of illicit intercourse with females in his village. So later on in life, he was just like, marriage isn't for me. I'm uh, just going to do my thing. So when the first half of this, you can say, okay, he's not a good husband because he's focusing on this. But then he, now if you would have stayed on that course, that's fine. But when now you're just going to go sleep with every woman right near the end of your like what's going to end up being the end of his life. Uh, what is the change? Like, it's just, it's not a good look on him. Tecumseh is a rising star in his tribe, but he kind of needs a spark in order to make this new confederacy, maybe the singular native nation. And this comes in the form of his brother, Lalawithika. Lalawithika is an abusive drunk towards his family. And one drunken night, Lalawithika falls drunk onto a campfire and is burnt manly enough in his near death. 
In short, Lalo with a vision, he dies and is led by a ghost on a fork on the road. One direction leading to paradise, and the other is leading to damnation. Upon waking up, Lalawithika is instantly reformed and becomes a predominant role as a holy man. Tecumseh takes a back seat at this point, so he's known in his tribe, but outside, he's just not very well known. Tenskwatawa, again, is that spark to get interest into his tribe. Tecumseh is now firmly in the back seat, and as natives and these tribes start flocking up to Tenskwatawa, Tecumseh sees a religious movement and wants to use it to unify all the tribes against the Americans and reclaim their lost hunting grounds. So Tecumseh saw what his brother was doing and thought to himself, this could be the glue that brings us all together. So in a way, he was kind of using his brother. Yes. Okay. Yes, I was actually going to bring that up near the end because there is a way you can take a very cynical view of this, but Tecumseh... Again, so we got to go back into where the Shawnee were at. This was after basically 30 years of war, uh, an influenza outbreak. They're now farmers. Hunting isn't going like when they are able to hunt, there's not enough game. Um, it's a very dire situation. He, Tecumseh, is just trying to keep everything together. And now Tenskwatawa now gives them hope for the first time in probably 30 years. Okay. So, and during this whole time, Tecumseh has this idea in the back of his head of, we can kick the Americans out. We just all need to do it together. We can't do this. I'm a Potawatomi. I'm a Miami. Well, that goes back to him thinking more as a Native American first, Shawnee second. Correct. Like, we could do a whole lot more together than all of these separate. Correct. But we need to change our thinking completely we can't just do what's best for our tribe we all have to collectively do it everyone has to agree it can't just be a couple people correct you cannot we cannot um you almost gotta it's, it's an american way of viewing it there's no other way to put it like we have to either band together or it's not gonna work out for anyone right so he I'll say used his brother and then they started the prophet's village, right? Yeah. So they're going to go to Greenville first. So enter back in William Henry Harrison, who at this time is a territorial governor. He openly challenges the prophet to stop the sun. Then the solar eclipse happened. Harrison screams, no, the prophet stock reaches an all time high. The Greenville village itself is not there for very long, as they move in there in 1806 and they move back to the Ohio River in 1808. But during that time, hundreds of natives make their pilgrimage across to Tenskwatawa's teaching. Also keep in mind, Tenskwatawa also sent out messages and spread his words, so potentially thousands of natives were hearing his messages. Outside of the big speeches, Tecumseh would also give speeches, speaking of a new confederacy that could rise up and potentially kick the Americans out. So think of it really as, you can view it as Tecumseh as using his brother. At least initially, it is a teamwork, because you have Tenskwatawa preaching, we can do this if we swear out the Americans. And then you have Tecumseh right after saying, 
well, we need to band together to kick them out. This is how we're going to do it. This is the idea. This is the plan. Was Tecumseh kind of in the background then since he wasn't as well known? So he was kind of, I don't want to say pulling the strings, but he was kind of in the background making sure that these were this stuff was happening. He wasn't controlling anyone, but he was making the speeches after. So it was very much like, think of it as like, I don't want to say a one-two punch, but it's, Tenskwatawa has the the hope. Tenskwatawa has the soul of it, and Tecumseh has the plan. Right. So he would be like, "We can do this," and then Tecumseh would come on and be like, "Here's how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to." Right. So when they move back across the Ohio River in 1808, it's actually a strategic reason for doing this. Not only are resources of the land completely stripped from having all of these Native Americans enter your your village. But it's more centrally located for native tribes to have easier access to the profit. And it's also just behind the treaty line, so Americans are not able to look on. Uh, This is also where Harrison is making his land deals, um, where he becomes just a little bit land-grabby, and the Fort Wayne Treaty is signed. Uh, Do you remember the $0.02 an acre versus $2 an acre, that whole meeting? Right. That's what we're talking about. This is really the treaty that the straw that broke the camel's back. Now, they had been getting screwed on a lot of deals. This is the one that angers them the most. This is the one that angers them the most. Well, yeah, they wanted $2 or they're supposed to get $2 and they got two cents. Right. Well, that's not even that. It was the selective picking. It was the shady negotiating tactics it was and really it's just this wasn't the first treaty that was signed they're still mad about the fort greenville treaty in 1794 this is 1808 i believe we're getting near we're getting closer to the uh like 1808 period so when the fort wayne treaty is signed again for tenskwatawa it's not the worst time as he's starting to show cracks in his armor so this really unifies a band of natives that maybe we're starting to branch out, but now they're coming back in because they're all unified against one idea. The natives believe that the treaty is an affront to the great spirit that they call the master of life, who they will be giving land to the Indians who had given the land for the Indians for exclusive use. The chiefs who signed the agreement were all condemned. Now tribes start to band together. And if you squint really hard, you might even call them a confederacy. Some kind of confederacy Tecumseh thought was needed to kick the Americans out. Thousands come to Prophetstown in order to listen to the two Shawnee brothers preach about how to reject the Americans. Tecumseh now starts going outside of the tribe as well to recruit for the confederacy. Harrison, of course, believes that the natives are angry because the British are provoking them definitely has nothing to do with the land deals that are going on. So Harrison is pretty much in denial because he's just blaming the British. Uh, doesn't, do you think that, or do you think he knows he's just pretending like it's something else to help him sleep better at night? I, I don't know. You can make an argument either way. I think there is nothing. I think Harrison believes everything he's doing is justified. Well, it's just so shysty, you know? I don't think he also believes he did anything wrong. I negotiated with Native Americans for for their land. 
they signed the deal, they gave their signature or their mark. This is a legitimate deal. I have done nothing wrong. I think would be his stance. And in fact, we're about to go into it. That was the stance. I do believe there's a little bit of blinders on in him. There might be a little bit of denial, but I do think he does believe that Britain is poking the Native Americans into a fight. Tecumseh then sends a delegation to Prophetstown, where he calls for a meeting at Vincennes to talk about the grievances any Native Americans may have. Harrison wrote in the letter, I know your warriors are brave, but ours are not less so. But what can a few brave warriors do against the innumerable warriors of the 17 fires of the United States? Our blue coats, or regulars, are more numerous than you can count, and our hunting shirts, the militia, are more like are alike the leaves in the forest or the grains of sand on the Wabash. Do not think that the redcoats can protect you. They are not able to protect themselves. They do not think of what they do not think of going to war with us. If they did, in a few moons you would see our flags wave over the ports of Canada. In that same letter, Harrison also sends a man named William Wells, a man who is familiar to both Tecumseh and Tenskatawa. When Wells arrives, they deliver a letter. Tecumseh then rose to speak. These lands are our lands, and no one has the right to remove us because we are its first proprietors. The great spirit above has appointed this place for us to light our fires, and from here we shall remain. As to the boundaries, the great spirit above knows no boundary, nor would his people acknowledge any. When Wells then read out a letter that was supposedly from Thomas Jefferson, Tecumseh replied, saying that if Jefferson had anything to say, then he should send, quote, a man of note and refuse to talk any further. Tenskwatawa added, why did the government not send the greatest man that they have to us? I can talk to the great father. I can bring him the sun under my feet and what the white man can do. So during the delegation that was actually asking the prophet to come to Vincennes, Tecumseh accepts the letter for him. Tecumseh, it should be said, stows about 5 feet 10 inches tall and has a rather large frame. That was not too fast on foot, but he did have quick at reflexes and had excellent hand-eye coordination. He has also had a broad forehead, slightly hawkish nose, and exceptionally fine white teeth. When he was at ease, he was said to be very playful with, warm and, and with a warm and winning smile, and in later years, he would grow his hair out to be shoulder-length and would wear little jewelry with the exception of a single nose ring, which is much to the disapproval of your mother in 1992. <laughs> I was just thinking that he's a little punk. <laughs> punk rocker right there. I'd love to see him mosh. <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight, it seems like William Henry Harrison and Tecumseh are destined to fight. The both of them had the complete opposite view of the other in terms of the land and what would happen long term. Harrison calls for a meeting with zero intention of returning any land to the Shawnees. Tecumseh comes to the meeting with the intent of gaining full control of the same land. There is no compromise that is going to be had. But Tecumseh speaks with the delegate shortly after the meeting and says, We do not want war, but we could not see how he and his people could stay at peace with the, when those robbing his people. The first my so you remember when Harrison sent a letter saying, if any natives have any 
uh, any disagreements or any uh, complaints, please bring them. Maybe the first sign that there might have been an issue was Tecumseh now shows up at the delegation of Vincennes full of 80 canoes of Shawnee warriors in full war paint. Uh Uh-oh. Something's about to happen. It'd be real tense, wouldn't it? Just just walk outside and just see canoes. Hey, hey guys, the, the Shawnee are here. Let's see. Oh, one, two, <laughs> oh, five, six. Um, so we need some here. Did we get a misunderstanding? I'm sorry. Are you guys mad? We have no idea. So the meeting at this ends happens. And if there is like a low key, like we invent a time machine, things we want to go visit this would be a meeting that I would want to go to, like, on the short list. Um, just because Tecumseh and Harrison are really meeting for the first time, and it's, if there was ever, like, an epic rap battle in history, those videos, they need to make one on this. Tecumseh starts off by saying, you want by your distinctions of Indian tribes is allowing each particular tract of land to make them go to war with each other, and you are continually driving the red people. You will drive them into the Great Lakes where they can neither stand nor work. When Tecumseh focuses his meat, his his attention on the Fort Wayne Treaty, Tecumseh pointed out that Harrison claimed that the Americans needed the land, that they were suddenly that the Americans were too cramped. But he also says the same informants talking to white settlers, saying that they had plenty of land to give. And since he had just traveled across the country, he would have a pretty good idea of how much land there was and how much there was for the Americans. So Harrison, in order to to become a a state governor from a territorial governor, needed to make a case that more land needed to be bought because every American was too cramped and that they were too close to the Native Americans. That's what really brought on the Fort Wayne Treaty. All Tecumseh was saying is, yeah, I just went over that land. Nobody's there. You just wanted land. Tecumseh continued to say that the treaty signed by the tribes was void and it should not be honored, claiming that they sold their land that they had no business of selling, talking about the Fort Wayne Treaty. Those same chiefs were also sitting next to Harrison. That was the treaty with the two cents, right? Yes. Okay. Those chiefs are sitting right across, right, right next to Harrison, listening to all of this. When he talked about the chiefs who sold their land, I wish you to listen to me. If you do not, it will appear as if you wish me all to kill the chiefs that sold you that land. I tell you so because I am authorized by all the tribes to do so. I am at the head of them all. I am a warrior and all the warriors will meet in two or three moons from this. Then I will call for these chiefs who have sold you, land, sold you the land and we shall know what to do with them. If you do not restore the land, you will have a hand in killing them. So basically, he was telling Harrison, you give us back the land or we're going and every single person that signed that treaty will be dead. Whatever treaty you made with those chiefs does not apply. We will not listen to your treaty. 
as they're all sitting across from Harrison. Probably and if you, and if you do, I'm authorized to kill them. Right. Which is not a true statement. Tecumseh is not speaking for every Native American, but what he, the point he is trying to make is I collectively know that I can lead the Native, like I can lead them, or I can, I collectively am speaking for all of Native Americans saying we are going to fight back. If you right. do not concede this land back to us, we will meet and we will kill the chiefs that signed this court, that signed the treaty while all of them are sitting across, probably pulling their neck collars, wondering why it suddenly got so hot. <laughs> when talking that even that they had been treated by the British better, he said, my brother, after this conduct, can you blame me for placing little confidence in the promises of our fathers, the Americans? The, the natives would have no choice but to fight back. Should the Americans continue the path they are on, I do not see how we can remain at peace with you. So he was ready to just call it a day. He's ready to fight. If we right. do not get this treaty, it's going. He's getting sick of it. It was Harrison's turn to speak, and he tells Tecumseh that the government had not treated the Shawnee dishonestly or unjustly. Harrison then correctly pointed out that the Shawnee were technically sitting on Miami land with no claim to the land they were on. A fact that is true, factually true, however misleading, because the Shawnee were actually invited by a Miami chief to use that land. This is Harrison. The natives were not just one nation, nor they had owned any land in common. Had the Great Spirit not given them different tongues? Basically saying, you can work independently. Like, you can't tell other nations what to do. The Great Spirit gave you different tongues, like different languages to speak. Uh, therefore, they can negotiate whatever they would like. As Harrison says, Tecumseh, as Harrison says this, Tecumseh stands up. His warriors did the same with their hands and their war clubs. Tecumseh spoke with, quote, great vehemence and anger and called Harrison a liar. Harrison ends the meeting for day one. Sometime after, Tecumseh, realizing that his outburst did no good, uh, actually sends an apology to Harrison, and the next day the meeting resumes. The next day after Tecumseh speaks with Harrison and asks if the surveyors running the new purchase of land will be safe. So Harrison needs to prospect the land that he just bought from the Fort Wayne Treaty and ask if they would be safe. He then continued to talk about the annuities the chiefs and the tribes had promised from the previous deal. If you remember from Tenskatawa's episode, part of the deal that Harrison struck was that the tribes that signed the treaty were given uh, annual annuities. Tecumseh stood firm. The Indians simply wanted their lands, not annuities. Harrison repeated that the land was bought fairly and it would be defended if it was needed to. However, Harrison would extend his consent to the president. Now, both realize that a fight is inevitable, but don't want the fight to exactly start here. The Shawnee expectation is that the Treaty of Fort Wayne was to be rescinded or the natives would band together. Harrison repeated again that the land would not be returned, but would again send his consent to the president. Tecumseh replied, As the great chief is to determine this matter, I hope the great spirit will put some sense into his head and induce him to direct you to give up this land. It is true. He is so far off. He will not be injured by the war. 
he may sit, he may sit in his town and drink his wine, whilst, whilst you and I will have to fight it out. In other words, go ahead and tell Jefferson, it's you and me that are going to have to do the fight. Right, I mean, go ahead and tell Pop, but, I mean... It's not going to change here. <laughs> right, uh, you're the one here, right? Mm-hmm. Jefferson's not the one that's going to get punched in the face. He's going to sit in his wa- and sit and drink his wine. Harrison would later write a letter about Tecumseh shortly after the meeting. With implicit obedience with respect to which his followers of Tecumseh pay him is really astonishing, and more than any other circumstance bespeaks him as one of the most uncommon geniuses that sprang up occasionally to produce some revolutions and overturn and establish the order of things. If it were not for the vicinity of the United States, he would, perhaps, be the founder of an empire that would rival in glory of that of Mexico or Peru. No difficulties deter him. His activity and industry supply the want of letters. For four years, he has been a constant motion. You see him today on the Wabash, and in short time you hear him on the shores of Lake Erie or Michigan, or on the banks of the Mississippi River, and wherever he goes, he makes his impression favorable to his purposes. Which is a really astonishing letter. To give that high praise to someone you just met. I mean, he is a good talker, though. He's very good. He's very charismatic. If I almost would like, you almost wish microphones would have been invented. Like, if I could go back to this Treaty of Vincennes, just to see how he presents it. Um, I think it would just be fantastic. I couldn't understand Shawnee, but I would love to see. I would. I'd love to see how it interacts because it just sounds like he just hypnotizes everyone he speaks to. I guess it's interesting if he's such a good talker. I mean, I I would like to have seen his brother give the first to give the first speech because if he was the one that followed him, and if you remember, well, obviously you do from last episode, um, how he how his brother was as as charismatic as um, Tecumseh when he was sober. They, they mm-hmm. Those two together must have been something. That had to be a team. The, and like what's, what sucks about working with like Native Americans don't write down. It's all oral tradition. The only reason we know what was written at this meeting is because the Americans were there. Right. They had <laughs> like somebody was, they could report it. That just there's I'm sure there's so much like great dialogue between those two. Like, yeah, it had to have been just outstanding listening to both of them. So what happens okay, so what happens after this? So after Vincennes, on the lead up to the War of eighteen twelve, the British are uh, sieging American ships and the Americans are convinced that they want to go to war with Britain for round two. The Americans declare war on them, and in the buildup, the British would like to shore up their national their border between the U.S. and Canada uh, because the tribes happen to share a lot of that land. It's a natural alliance to help protect the border and to also help the Shawnee get their land. Uh, Tecumseh actually accepts an invitation from the British to actually, that was meant for Tenskwatawa, and goes to the meeting at Fort Malden. 
it is not actually written down what happens at this meeting, but an agreement had to have ultimately been struck for the Alliance at this meeting. Tecumseh then needs to go out and recruit other tribes. He plans a trip starting in Ohio and travels to the Chickasaws in Tennessee, the Choctaws in Alabama, the Muscogee in Georgia. Tecumseh also then goes to see the British to begin to shore up the plan. This is where Tecumseh goes to leave, about to leave his wigwam, when he tells Tenskwatawa, do not fight Harrison. Seriously, you'll lose. Then he says, you got it, bro. Yep, I'll never do that. And Tecumseh leaves, and he sets out, but makes a horrible mistake because he actually stops to talk to Harrison. Now, we touched on this briefly, very briefly, in Tenskwatawa's episode. But if Tecumseh does not stop to talk with Harrison, who's to say Harrison knows Tecumseh is outside the village? So all Harrison has to hear is that, yes, the war chief is gone. It's time to go attack him. On the same day that Tecumseh visits Harrison, Harrison writes a letter with the Shawnee saying that the Shawnee will be demolished to its foundation and be booted up. So he was going all in, too. Well, like I said, Harrison just needed to hear Tecumseh's going away. Right. Do you think they... Do you think he wanted to crush him? Like, I mean, when I say, like, he was over the talking, he was over trying to, like, have talks. He was just like, let's end this right now. I think he saw a major op Because, like, half the time, like, if you... When you talk about war, we have the benefit of hindsight, where if we would have known this ex-army was in this dire state of this dire condition, we would have attacked them right then and there. But we don't know that. So we didn't know the proper time to attack because we can we can look back at that afterwards. Tecumseh just told Harrison. It would be no different if, what's a good example here, if George Washington would have told the British commander that I'm going to go leave for a little bit, okay, bye. By the way, here's where my army is. Uh, here's where the rest I won't of the be army there, is. but you're good. I won't be there, but yeah. So uh, see you later, okay? Like it's it's that level of. If I'm being honest, it's a really stupid move. <laughs> like you're all but pushing Harrison out the door. Why did he do that? Do you do you think he just didn't expect him to do it? Do anything? I don't have a good answer for you, but I think it was maybe he thought Harrison wouldn't attack right away. Or may I don't understand why you visit him to begin with. I really don't like to tell just to tell him that you're leaving. Yeah. Like it's essentially it seems a bit strange because he because he says like, yeah, I'm going to go form a confederacy, which, by the way, is already going to send an alarm bell. On. By the way, I'm going to go recruit more tribes. To my confederacy, but don't worry, we're peaceful. We're united in peace. I wonder if he was trying to intimidate and he just didn't expect the response that he got. I don't think so, because it's not like 
he ever had the numbers. There's a reason he's going on this recruitment tour. It's because he needs the numbers to back up the Oh, yeah, so he would have known, Harrison would have known that he didn't have the numbers to back it up. And clearly he doesn't. And since they just spent two weeks sizing each other up at Vincennes, Harrison understands the type of man that he's going up against, or at least verbally. So I wonder if that's why, I wonder if that's why he, as soon as he heard him say, I'm leaving, he's like, now that he's gone, we can actually end this. He saw an opportunity and he took it. So I know we spent a fair amount of Tesquatawa's episode on him making a really stupid move to fight Harrison. But Tecumseh kind of pushed Harrison outside the door. <laughs> right. I mean, it was his uh, his brother. That's kind of interesting that they both kind of made an error. Like Tecumseh pushed him out the door and his brother well, maybe pushed out the door. jumped on it. I shouldn't say pushed out the door. He left the door wide open. Right. Well, he or no, he gave Harrison the keys. Yeah. He said, I'm leaving. Here's my keys in case you need to get in. It's very, it's a blunder. Like, there's no other way. It's an absolute mistake. Which is interesting because up to this point, I feel like Tecumseh has been pretty strong-willed, like pretty doesn't really make mistakes. So. Yeah, he hmm. is. uh, He doesn't make many mistakes. This absolutely is one of them. And it's, it's huge. A lot of consequences. So I still stand by Tenskwatawa's rating um, because even with Harrison barreling down, you don't fight. You just leave. Harrison's going to burn the village anyway. You just run. So the village, from last episode, we know the village gets destroyed. Does Tecumseh come back then? That's just when we basically stop. That's really when the prophet like loses his influence so there's no reason to talk about Tetsquatawa after but it really is half of the story because the second half I mean if we're being honest it's to, this whole story is Tecumseh's story Tetsquatawa just plays a major role right so Tecumseh starts his world tour of the south which was supposedly for a band of thieves he starts in Tennessee and Tecumseh spoke to let the white man perish. They seize your land, they corrupt your women, they trample your bones of your dead. Hence they came back upon the trail of blood. They must then be driven back. Back to the great warrior whose cursed waves brought them here to our shores. Burn their dwellings, destroy their stock, slay their women and children. Remember when he told Harrison this? I was just going to say, that's hilarious. I promise you it's for peace first meeting kill them burn them all burn them then this tribe politely turned tecumseh down tecumseh then goes crazy ex-girlfriend style on him goes your blood is white you do not believe in the great spirit to have sent me you shall believe it i will lead directly it goes back to detroit where then when i will get there i will stop my foot on the ground and every house here will shake a few weeks later, that same tribe experiences an earthquake. Many believing Tecumseh had just hit Detroit and stomped his foot. 
So again, he's had a lot of premonitions in his life. His brother's vision, a vision, but what uh, his the comet going across to get his name. That one's pretty cool. I do enjoy that one. Whether it's a true story or not, I don't know. I kind of doubt it, but um, it's funny that they experienced an earthquake soon after he said that he would stomp his foot. After months of travel, it comes to his force to come home. Um, there's not a lot of detail on his on his trip south. It's not. Is there any is there any information on how many tribes decided to join him? Very few actually recruit to the Confederacy for multiple for multitudes of different reasons. Some believe, and I've touched on this a little bit. Some believe the Americans were actually a better trade partner, so they didn't want to break the trade partner. Some believe, well, the Americans are so far away. They're not ever going to get here. So why do we want to anchor them? Why kick the hornet's nest? Others just didn't want the fight. So again, you're speaking with different, essentially different nations. You're talking with France one day. You're talking with uh, Egypt the next. I mean, you're just talking with... And everyone has different reasons as to why they don't. But none of them are really seeing the big picture as Tecumseh is seeing it as, guys, if we don't band together, they're going to take everything. It does not matter what your relation is now. If we do not band together, it doesn't matter. It's over. So anyway, after months of travel, Tecumseh is forced to go home. So when Tecumseh comes back, Remember his warning to his brother, do not engage Harrison. Well, there was a fight, and a pretty decisive one at that. Prophetstown is burnt to the ground. Tecumseh shakes his brother in anger, but does not ultimately keep ties to him. But for now, a very motivated Tecumseh sets out again to gather not only the forces that were lost in the battle, but also to recruit a few more. Again, it's not as successful as you would like to see it if this was a movie script, you would see a lot more unity. It just simply doesn't happen. During this time, this is where Tecumseh, this is where the Americans declare war on Britain, and the War of 1812 officially begin. The British and Shawnee, uh, the Shawnee may not have their Grand Confederacy, but it will have to do for now. But right now, the Confederacy that does happen, that isn't significant, it's a few thousand warriors. But they also have the Confederacy plus the weight of the British Empire. This is a major force to deal with. One of the first battle of war Tecumseh sees is just on the western coast of Lake area and the Canadian border called Brownstown. The target is a supply line that leads to Fort Detroit. Capturing Fort Detroit is a big deal because it, it is right on the banks of, Fort, of Lake Erie, which if you control Lake Erie, you can control basically the the Great Lakes. And since the British have, I don't know, a pretty good navy at this point, this would be great to have for supply lines um, and to control the area. After scouting the area for a couple of days, Tecumseh knows he is outnumbered, approximately five to one. The American forces mix about 200. Tecumseh has about two dozen men. Jeez, so it's not looking good for him. He identifies a weak point and hides his warriors in a thick brush of cornfield, giving them orders to fire at the men on horseback first, 
which would be the high-ranking officers, knowing the U.S. military needed the men to give the orders. And if they were dead, the army would not be as organized and and be able to do an effective strategy. The commander in charge, who is named Van Horn, is unaware of the native presence. Musket fire opens up. Van Horn orders a retreat. The militiamen, likely who have never engaged in an organized retreat, just scatter. Tecumseh's men of two dozen chase away and cause 18 deaths, 12 wounded, and 70 missing in action. That's pretty good, but they got the element of surprise. And, yes, I mean, when you make enough noise, right? It's the strategy he needed to Well, when, when the muskets started firing, they don't know how many men are out there. Give me a thousand. Correct. Right. Well, that was just it. It was, he's very smart. We're about to learn. <laughs> Sometime in one of the meetings, Tecumseh finds his BFF, a man named General Isaac Brock. Brock is an aggressive young general who is sympathetic to Tecumseh's cause. He is then willing to also push for a potential United Native State. Brock would write up Tecumseh. The Shawnee chief Tecumseh, brother of the prophet, who for the last two years has carried on, contrary to reminiscences, than active warfare against the United States. A more sagacious nor gallant warrior does not, I believe, exist. He was in the admiration of everyone who conversed with him. From a life of dissipation, he is not only to become, in every respect, ambextrous, but a, vo- a, a warlike prevailed to all the nation, to all his nation, and many of the other tribes of his, who will follow his example. They appear determined to continue the contest until they obtain the Ohio for their boundary. The United States government is accused, and I believe justly, on having corrupted a few dissolute characters whom they pretend to be considered chiefs, and for whom they contradict engagements and concluded treaties which they have attempted to impose on the whole Indian race. So Brock, in 1812, is saying what we're saying today, is he understands the United States picked their own chiefs to deal with and left everyone else in the wind, and Tecumseh is fighting them. I do want to point that out, because I think people want to say it was of the time and Harrison was do- may have done nothing wrong. Someone in the time period is saying what we're saying today, yes. The two seem to really take a liking to each other. They even seem to have a very similar battle philosophy. One of the key to the forts was Fort Detroit. Again, as I said, a siege is planned, and Tecumseh is so impressed by it with Brock, he is said to have exclaimed, this is a man. So a siege is set for Fort Detroit. Sieges historically take a long time. What you do in a siege is you completely surround your enemy and bombard them with whatever you can until your enemy runs out of supplies or surrenders. It is essentially like the closing of a noose. Brock and Tecumseh have a brilliantly simple solution to speed up the time, however. Instead of doing a siege, which may take up to weeks, the plan is to have the commander in charge, Hull, think that he is actually facing a much larger force. 
the Americans actually have an advantage of two to one. Tecumseh, though, sees a clearing well within the, the sight of Americans. They can see the clearing, but it's just far enough where they're not going to take a shot. He pulls a Home Alone. Do you remember in Home Alone when the police come up and Kevin wants to fool people, fool the cops, thinking that there's someone in the house and he puts like the cardboard cutout on a train and he uses the silhouettes. Rocking around the Christmas tree, have a Christmas. Right? That's why that, I, I know that. That's exactly that scene. <laughs> Tecumseh, in that same clearing, has his warriors run around in the same clearing over and over and over and over again. Hull falls for this completely, thinking there is a never-ending line of enemies just outside his perimeter. He, he surrenders toward Detroit without firing a shot. Wow. That is genius. Rocking around. <laughs> you can just see Tecumseh fist pumping in the air. Da, 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 da. Come over here, you filthy animal. <laughs> Things are going well for the British and the Indian Confederacy. But, this is the most depressing but, just when it looks as though Tecumseh's dream of having a legitimate chance, Brock is then sent out east and is killed in battle. <sighs> he is replaced by a man named Henry Proctor. Proctor is much more worried about defending the Canadian border as it is and not attacking into American territory, which was Brock's strategy. The British wanted to fight a defensive war, and this leaves them with much less need for the native tribe as Britain wants to focus its war efforts in the east. This is also around like the same time where the Americans march and actually set fire to British Parliament building that will in turn have the British react to burning down the White House. So he has reasons to think that. But we're not there yet. Old friend William Henry Harrison heads north towards Tecumseh and Proctor. Harrison lays camp and builds Fort Meigs. Harrison is on the offensive, sending his troops to engage the British and the natives near Frenchtown. The result was the worst American casualty so far in the war, as 500 plus prisoners are taken into the war, or taken in prisoner. So Harrison sends troops, 500 are captured. By the, the American, by the British. Okay. Yep. When leading the American POW, some men would whip the Americans who would not keep pace. They would also uh, rob and kill the injured. Tecumseh, who had left long before the, bat the end of the battle, finds out and actually confronts Proctor, asking, why would you allow such a thing? When Proctor responds, your natives are impossible to control. Tecumseh yells back, be gone. You are unfit to command. Go and put on your petticoats. 
Oof, he did not like Proctor, huh? Did not like Proctor. I mean, that's interesting, though, that he uh, saw that they were being, you know, abused. And he said, why are you doing that? Right. Let me act. I was going to save this because there is. I'm going to leave a gap in my notes. So. Tecumseh. It was a hard place to put this in the narrative. So we may as well just talk about it here since you brought it up. There's a couple of stories of Tecumseh confronting anyone about the torture of of warriors of POWs. Once the bat, like once you're fighting, when you're fighting, you're fighting, right? But once it's over, it's done. We're not going to torture. We're not going to antagonize. It's done. The battle is over. Um, going back a couple of years. Um, during his time with the Chickamaugas, so years before this moment, Tecumseh confronted a returning war party with prisoners who were set to be burned at the stake. He first asked them to consider committing an act unworthy to brave men, because all they had done is just surrender. So instead of burning at the stake, why are we punishing them? When that failed, he asked them to reconsider the monetary loss. There would be no ransom for these prisoners. When that didn't work, Tecumseh pulls out his pistol and shoots a man in the head in order to save a man from being burdened at the stake. Wow, so he actually killed someone that was on his side. Yes, because they were about to burn people at the stake. Dang. So, this one isn't necessarily torture-related, but it does give you an idea of, of his, uh, his war battle. So when he is attacking a Revolutionary War veteran, so again, this is still years before uh, a man named John Wagoner, after killing two of his children with war clubs, someone else, some other warriors, killed his, his children with war clubs. So obviously a brutal murder of John Wagoner's family. Tecumseh is to have said when talking with Wagoner, I have killed 40, man with my, 40 men with my own hands in a single combat, yet I have never taken the life of a woman or child. He seems very in control of himself at all. He knows what a battle is and what you should and shouldn't do. Correct. Do not torture, do not whatever. So what he did going back to Proctor is Proctor just told him that your warriors are uncontrollable. Well, Tecumseh has been controlling them. So <laughs> I don't think that would be the best message to send to Tecumseh. Um, not that Proctor necessarily cared. But while the battle outside of French Tome was a win for the British allies, for the British and the natives, it is a big turning point for Tecumseh and the relationship with the British. Tecumseh's main ally, ally Isaac Brock, is now dead. Proctor does not even want to help fight to keep native lands. Now, Tecumseh just told Brock's replacement that he was not fit for command. If Proctor was wanting to leave the area before, Tecumseh all but shoves him out the door while doing it. The Americans, on the other hand, were just given a huge propaganda story from the treatment of the POWs. So not only has Tecumseh and the British, they're starting to fracture there's now a propaganda opportunity. Look what is happening to our men. Right. Look at the savages. Look at what the British are doing. Come on, everyone, let's fight. 
Then we go back to Harrison and Fort Meigs. Harrison understands that he's going to be attacked and builds up the defenses of the fort. A siege starts and, to and starts to bombard Harrison and his 1,200 men. It is not particularly successful as reinforcements are actually able to double the numbers inside the fort within a couple of days. So we just went over how a siege, you're cutting off your the supply lines to your enemy. Right. To right. give you an idea of how much effort Proctor was putting into the war at this point on American soil, Harrison was able to double his reinforcements during the siege. Oh, so they weren't doing a very good job. It wasn't, they were attacking in name only, is how I can kind of describe it. Going on the offensive, Harrison dispatches Colonel William Dudley to attack the British batteries. Tecumseh's men fire from the woods and draw the militiamen deeper and deeper into the forts. Once there is a disorganized militia of 800, 550 are captured. Only 150 are able to get back for the fort. So for a second time, Harrison sends in a bunch of men, Tecumseh baits them, and takes over 500 prisoners. He's like an unstoppable force for the British, huh? Correct. Despite that success, they're still not able to breach Harrison's walls. It isn't long before Proctor's looking for any reason to give up the siege. Proctor's willingness to stay in the area is already low. A definitive battle for Proctor is actually on Lake Erie. The British Navy take on the Americans, and if this battle fails, the British will not be able to open up their supply lines. Proctor will be forced to retreat. There is nothing Tecumseh can do but sit and watch across as a battle on Lake Erie essentially seems their fate. For three days, they wait for the British commander. When it becomes clear that the Americans are now in control of the Great Lakes, Proctor begins to pack. When Tecumseh Scout happened to be walking up on the British, that's how Tecumseh finds out the British are retreating. Proctor doesn't even tell him as he is about to leave. Wow, he's just like, guys, pack up, we're getting out of here. Time to leave, everyone. Tecumseh goes straight to, to confronting Proctor. And I'm not going to do justice to this speech, but I'm going to try. If you want a really good rendition, go to YouTube. It is Tecumseh's speech, PBS documentary. Um, this is maybe one of, this is one of my favorite speeches of all time. So I'm going to try to do this justice, but Tecumseh comes in obviously angry, talking to Proctor. He runs up and he goes, Listen, Father, we are much astonished to see you tying up and preparing to run the other way. You always told us to remain here and to take care of our lands, and it made our hearts glad to hear that this was your wish. But now you see, but now we see you drawing back like a fat animal, running off with its tail between its legs. Listen, Father, the Americans have not yet defeated us on dry land. We, therefore, wish to remain and face our enemy should they make an appearance. Father, you have the arms and ammunition to which the great father sent his red children. 
if you have any idea of going away, give them to us so that we may go and wait so that you may go and wait for us. Our lives are in the hands of the great spirit. We are determined to defend our land, and if it is his will, we shall leave our bones upon them. I love that speech. He's not wrong, though, for real. As far as, I mean, I I would love to try to add this on at the end of the episode, but I've probably watched that speech two dozen times, let's say. I still get chills listening to it. The way the actor portrays it, it's very good. Well, it is interesting, though, that um, he wanted him to leave, and then as soon as they start packing up, uh, Tecumseh didn't want them to leave. He wanted them to fight. Proctor is the one that wants to leave. Oh, I thought, I guess I thought Tecumseh was sick of him and was like, get out of here. You're in no fit to no, leave. Tecumseh is, Tecumseh is irritated because he had an ally in Brock that said, I will fight for you. And now Proctor is saying, I only care about the Canadian border. Right. Let's switch from offense to defense. Right. And since we're switching to defense, the British really don't need the natives anymore or their Confederacy. Right. Hmm. Proctor still orders this receipt. Uh, Tecumseh begrudgingly follows it around, mainly because he doesn't have another choice. He is still pleading with the British to stand and fight, and they're getting closer to the Canadian border. After a couple of weeks of, sta- of waiting around through the marshland, they come up to a section of the Thames River, uh, and little did they know that William Henry Harrison was actually within two miles tracking them. A battle soon takes place as they miss, as the two armies finally meet up. The, bega- the battle begins. Harrison's force double the British. The British are in full-on retreat mode and do not know, and do not even have earthworks in place. There is literally no defenses. They are fighting in a marshland, but they are essentially facing each other. Tecumseh's men are all in hiding on the side, ready to fire when Harrison's men attack. So you got to picture a big battlefield, clear marshland in the center, and then Tecumseh's on the side. They're just waiting for Harrison to come up for them to attack. Harrison charges his cavalry. The natives fire, but ultimately are unsuccessful in stopping the cavalry. This single advance is enough to break the British line and the British abandoned Tecumseh and his warriors completely. The natives are ultimately trapped, and there are too many Americans to fend off. A musket ball hits Tecumseh in the chest, lodging in his heart. Two or three more shots hit him, and he is likely dead before he even hits the ground. When word gets out that Tecumseh is dead, the, native, the natives in battle, quote, give their largest yells I've ever heard from human beings, and with that, ended the fight. The next morning, Harrison wanted actual proof that Tecumseh had been shot and killed in battle, and he wants to confirm himself. Harrison is disgusted to find that the body is nearly unrecognizable. He was, Harrison believed it was Tecumseh, but he isn't confident enough to confirm the attack, or confirm that it was Tecumseh. The body was so mutilated. What the death of Tecumseh means, it was really the end of the Native Confederacy. By the end of the war, the British did propose that the United States 
give a buffer state between the U.S. and Britain, which would in theory be the native United States, uh, but American refused, and British really didn't have really heart to continue it, uh, to continue pushing further in it, so I got scrapped pretty quick. Uh, knowing from experience on how hard it was to keep the Americans from moving anywhere, they knew enforcing such a territory would be impossible. The Treaty of Ghent is signed in 1814, uh, but fails to recognize any native territory. So again, it all ended with them getting shafted. So now, we rank Tecumseh. First round, are you satisfied? This is our biography round. Matt and I will be handing out negative 10 points to positive 10 points, depending on how we liked Tecumseh's story. Well, I think it's pretty safe to say we liked him better than his brother. It was definitely more interesting than his brother. He definitely had a lot more. I, w- I, w- I don't want to say action because I don't mean it like fights and battles. I mean it more as in he definitely did a lot more than his brother to try and they have this vision to unite all the native tribes, but only I feel like only Tecumseh really tried. There is a difference, like you can tell the difference between someone who wants to be a leader and someone who just is. Tenskwatawa wanted to be a leader. Tecumseh just was it. He didn't need to try to be anything. And I think that's the big difference, is Tecumseh would reach the mountain. And I think, like, I am convinced if you just switch the roles between William Henry Harrison and Tecumseh, Tecumseh would have been president. And he would have been a memorable one at that. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind. He could give one hell of a speech. He was driven. He was incredibly smart. But because he fought for the British and he was Native American, he doesn't get nearly the credit I think he deserves. But as far as the story goes... I wonder what would have happened if his friend didn't die. That's another one. That was, that's a great like alternate history. Because I don't know what Brock would have been able to do at the negotiating table if his word really would have mattered, but this is the best opportunity for a permanent native state. And it's it's within 50 years of the founding of the country. So it could have happened. It, this was the most realistic shot for this to happen. And they had the right leader to do it. It just didn't turn out the way they wanted. Right. So what would you give him? How satisfied are you? I am very satisfied. Unfortunately, I am not satisfied with how it ended. But I'm going to say. Before you say uh, your score, were you satisfied with Rocky 1? Because he doesn't win at the end either. Right. But you just know he gave it his all, right? He went the distance. I agree with you, though. I think if circumstances were different, he would have been a very solid leader. He was a, he was a great leader, but yes, he would have been. I mean, con- continue, continuing to be a great leader. Uh, overall, I'm going to give it an eight. That's, oh, you did not. You gave Wild Bill a nine after still giving Billy a five in this category, and I still haven't forgiven you for it. That's fine. I'm not bitter. Eight is a perfectly fine score. Um, I think I'm going to match it. 
just because, I mean, yeah, I would love to see a better ending, but yeah, I really enjoyed him. Eight, so that means he is at 16 overall. Next round. Be sure you are right, then go ahead. This is our morality round. Again, Matt will be, Matt and I will be ranking him between positive 10 and negative 10. How good of a person was he? Well, I mean, the stories you told, um, examples of how he knew war is never uh, a good thing, but how you handle yourself, I think, is the biggest thing. And when those soldiers were getting abused, he spoke up. Uh, I mean, he killed one of his own men, I would say, uh, to stop the burning. I think he was a good man. I think he was a good man. I'm going to give him a, a seven. I'm going to go a little higher than that. Because we we gave a seven to, actually, I've given a seven to everyone but his brother. Billy the Kid killed someone, multiple men. Wild Bill killed multiple men. Uh, Tecumseh killed multiple men. He did, but that was battle. And somehow I feel like that's But bad. remember, he wanted to rid the country. Of America or of the American colonies, the United States, yes, um, right, yes. Tell me that wasn't justified thinking. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, but however, I just feel like if he were more, let's say, moral, I feel like we could have talked. He could have tried to talk it out more. I mean, I know they weren't very accepting. I would say. As far as his morality, the knock. So if he, if I'm counting down from 10, where, where is he losing points? And to me, he's losing points because he abandoned his child. Right. Because he was too pale. He, well, essentially, he abandoned one child completely. He didn't want to give a promotion to his son um, because his skin was too pale. And then he eventually divorced his wife because she didn't prepare dinner well one night. That loses points, but that's that move. I gave Daniel Boone seven, and he owned a person. So right. you can get higher than that. I've given a seven to Wild Bill, and I've given a seven to Billy. So I am going to give... I think he's more impressive than that. I am going to go 8.5, I believe, for him. Are you happy well, with All that? right. What's that? Are you happy with your seven? Yes, I'm going to stick with seven. Next round, to hell with the consequences. Was he crazy or was he clever? So again, we're going to hand out scores from negative 10 to positive 10 on if we think he was crazy or was clever. Matt? Um, I'm going to go with, I think he was very clever, as we saw. I mean, he got how many people to surrender with very little um, men himself. Um, I'm going to go pretty high this round, actually. I'm going to say nine. I think he was very, very smart, um, and obviously through his speeches. Yeah. I guess I, I, I won't dispute your nine. I was thinking eight, but I can't think of why I would knock him down. The winning, the defeating 200 soldiers when you have two dozen yourself, that's pretty good. And how he came up with it, how he saw it. 
I mean, you have to be intelligent. And even like the forward thinking of we all need to band together in order to kick the Americas out. In order to land, we can't think of ourselves as... Right, in order to be successful. We all have, we have to be one unit. We cannot be Ojibwe's or Potawatomi's or whatever. We, it's either all for us or it's not going to Oh, he thought of himself as Native American first, Shawnee second. So, I'm going to go slightly lower, and I'm going to go with an eight. But I may regret that later. All right. Yeah, respectable. Overall, score is a 17 for the Hell of Council. Uh, next round, draw. So if we were to face them in a duel, how screwed are we? And I'm a little nervous on this one. <laughs> I don't uh, see. I'm not. I feel like. I feel like he wouldn't kill unless. We were. I mean, unless we were in battle, right? We're doing something crazy. If we angered him and if we got on his bad side, we're going to stay on his bad side. I don't. Right. And I mean, he did kill what? uh, What was it? How many buffalo with one quiver? Uh, 16 buffalo with a single quiver of arrows. And then 40 deer. So whatever he chooses to do, he meant to do it. (laughs) Right. I'm going to say like a. Four. That is actually the highest score either one of us have handed out in this round. So I agree with that. I think I also he comes across to me as someone that he doesn't have time for your foolishness. Right. So if you tried making a joke in front of him, he may be like, "What is what? What is this joy? Nobody should joy. No, shut up. Sit down." So. I'm gonna I'm gonna match your four. I think that's a good score for him. So that is eight. We're draw. Next round legacy. So we're only gonna be handing out points from zero to ten on how well known he is. And I'm not gonna lie, I wish he was more well known because I bet when I said Tecumseh, a lot of people first thought of William Tecumseh Sherman first, and that really kind of you know, I I remember learning about him, but again, it was probably very, very brief, like maybe a day in history class, you know? When I student taught, I looked through the book for Tecumseh, and he was literally three paragraphs. I was going to say, I, I, I was going to say it's probably one of those uh, inner boxes that they put at the bottom of a page that just went, get to know the figures. And that's unfortunate because I think he is very interesting. Yes. I would. So, and what hurts him here too, it's not like he, there's a lot of movies being lined up about Tecumseh because he ultimately failed in his mission. Right. He's not, he wasn't successful. Correct. And like what, what is still amazing to me is if you look at the big picture as a whole, yes, the Confederacy didn't happen. Even his tours to go on didn't, work out like right the system was never with him and he still gave a hell of a shot like it was still became 
he still gave it a go. And he got farther than anyone likely would have gotten in his position, surely off of his genius and his fortitude and his planning. But he seems, as far as like how name recognition go, if we're just even talking about Native Americans, it still feels like he's second tier. People still know Sitting Bull better. They likely know Chief Joseph better. Uh, there's just other bigger names, even with Native Americans. And I, not no offense to Sitting Bull, like I or or any other Native American, he should be more well known than he is. What What would your score be? I want to give him a high score. If I have five people, I can. I really like to talk about in American history. It's uh, Ulysses S. Grant, it's George Washington, it's Franklin Roosevelt, and it's Tecumseh. You have three heavyweights, or two heavyweights, U.S. Grant, who should be a bigger deal, and then him. I want to give him an eight or a nine, but he's not, unfortunately. I think, to me, he's a I'm going to give him a seven, but that that is me wanting him to be higher. <laughs> See, I was going to go much, much lower. I was going to think, I was thinking like four. Because I just feel like he isn't talked about. There isn't much on him. You know what I mean? In, in history classes. There's, there's a lot on him, but... Right. right. So... I, Four is probably, it could be more realistic. I don't feel, because to me, a four, we're going to run into fours. And I think what's difficult about this particular category with him is what he, and I've already said it, is what he should be getting instead of what he is currently getting. Right. But I would be willing to bet if you ask someone to name three Native Americans, they might not. He might not be one of the three. He, de- I don't think he definitely. I definitely don't think he would be because I think the three names and someone like please when this when this comes out, please let me know the first three that you thought of. Good to me, it's Sitting Bull, Crazy Horse, and Chief Joseph. Those are the three names that instantly pop into my head. Or Geronimo. Um. Yeah, those are the, those are the three, and he just seems the second tier underneath that. So I think as far as names go i'm still sticking with my seven um but i know that is me probably adding on a point or two i think he's just as far as being well known he's in that second tier of well known. i don't think i would ever go above a five and like you said he should be but he's just not what are you sticking with four with four all right that brings him to an 11 That brings us to our death bonus round. So we can hand out up to two points as just like a bonus if we thought he had a cool death story. Uh, died in battle. That's pretty good. He died doing what he believed in, what he wanted, what he felt was needed, what I, I think would have been needed. He stood his ground. Right. When, no, I don't, I would have ran. <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit it. Once the British retreated, he knew he had to have known it was a death sentence. 
Right. He he had to have known it was over. Right. I'm going to give him a point. I'm going to give him one. That is actually a big point, and I'm going to tell you why in a second. I'm going to give him half a point just because he died in battle, which is good. There's really not like a... Uh, I guess he just died in battle. That was kind of it. Um, it was real bummer that he was mutilated and after that. But yeah, I feel pretty good about that. So why? Uh, let's go to do counting coup. Counting coup. So confirmed-ish kills divided by 10. He did say he killed 40. He said that. I don't know if we can confirm that. So this is where... This is really our first soldier or our first general we've had. Do we give a token point if you were in battle? Because I don't know how to judge these. Right. I, th- I think so. One point, yep. Okay. We're going to get them one point, or we're going to give them credit for 10 deaths, which is going to be uh, point one is what that ends up being. So, why that your one point was a big point is because Tecumseh's total score now is 69.1. Billy was our leader, and he was at 68.1. Tecumseh is now the overall points leader. Yeah. Good for him. I'm sure there'll be people that are close, if not go over. Possibly. Also, if he ends up being the highest score here, I wouldn't be sad about it. So, um, I do want to add in one more thing. So, I'm not a big conspiracy guy. I'm not a big curse guy. But there is something known as the curse of Tippecanoe. Do you know much about William Henry Harrison outside of what I just told you? No, I do not. If you know William Henry Harrison, if you are outside of the U.S., William Henry Harrison is noteworthy as president because essentially he spoke too long when it was raining. He got a cold and he died 30 days into his presidency. That's right. His his speech was like four hours or something, wasn't it? Real long. So if you know his name, you basically know him for dying and having the shortest reign. The Curse of Tippecanoe, also known as Tecumseh's Curse, is a little weird because we'll go into that in a second. Harrison is elected in 1840. He dies 30 days later. Abraham Lincoln is elected in 1860, is assassinated. James A. Garfield was elected in 1880, is assassinated. William McKinley in 1900, is assassinated. Warren G. Harding in 1920, dies of a heart attack. Franklin Roosevelt, elected in 1940, dies of a brain hemorrhage. John Kennedy in 1960, assassinated. If you even want to continue it, Ronald Reagan, not in this term, was I had an assassination attempt in 1980. 
George, uh, and then it says George Bush on here. Long story short, every 20 years since Harrison, who fought Tecumseh, who was said to have put a curse on Harrison, every 20 years that president ended up being dead by the end of the term. That's crazy. That's interesting. That's an interesting little theory. What's weird is you would think it's the curse of Tippecanoe, which you would think the curse would be put on by Tenskwatawa because he was the religious man and also the one that fought at Tippecanoe or Prophetstown. But it's credited to Kamsa, but just know it's also known as the 20-year curse or the zero curse. But just really interesting that something that happened when Harrison died in 1840 actually every 20 years was a spiral. So again, not a big conspiracy guy. Thought that was really fun to talk about. So now my favorite part where we have to draft him i gotta find my coin matt tell him what we're doing while i find this coin again um we are going to be drafting and eric will be finding a coin with tails as mount rushmore and heads is the face of someone <laughs> and uh for a yeah beer in for a beer in 1960 so, whoever I will call it, and then if I win, I can choose to draft him or pass, and Eric can choose to draft him or pass, which then he will go into the free agents, which we can pick up after we draft our full team, if we so choose. Eric, are you ready? What's up? What deal do I have to make so that None. I don't have to flip this coin? So Go ahead and flip that <laughs> coin. If I give, take your chances, sir. What if? So there's no trade. Nope, none. I yet because I'm calling tails never fails. Mount Rushmore. It is. I win. It is tails. I definitely win. It is actually this. Okay. So Eric will get to choose if he wants. Yes. Yes. To yes, draft yes, Tecumseh. Yes. yes. And on that note, Eric has added Tecumseh to his team, bringing his team total to two. Nope, because I drafted William Boone. Oh yes. And I have on my team Wild Bill. Wild Bill. But you could draft Tenskwatawa. He's still out there. So that brings my team to two. Eric's to three. Three. I have Billy the Kid, Daniel Boone, and Tecumseh. So I think, because I'm starting to pull ahead on figures, I think for the next couple of episodes, we're just going to give Matt first pick until we either got even or I'm just one ahead, just so there's at least a, I don't want to win 20 coin flips in a row. And also, I have Billy the Kid and Tecumseh, so feeling pretty good. And once we um, each reach 20, um, the figures will start going into the free agent pool, um, and we can um, flip a coin if we want to pull them into our team and get rid of another figure. 
once we have a full roster, in order to add anyone else to our roster, you would have to drop it. So your fantasy football team, your fantasy whatever team you listen to, those rules are in effect. So I have three, so I have 17 more slots, and Matt has 19 more slots. Um, so, yeah. So as it stands right now, like Matt said, he has Wild Bill Hickok, I have Billy the Kid, Daniel Boone, and Tecumseh, and then Tepatawa is actually sitting in a free agent. So why this matters is at the end of the rankings, we will have a big, massive tournament, and Matt and I will be able to pick our, basically, our, our pairings. We're going to pick our matches. So I will match Matt. Bill, or Matt wants to play Wild Bill Hickok. I have to pick someone to go up against Wild Bill Hickok, so on and so forth, until we basically have our rounds. And that's how we will eventually have a big tournament to decide a winner on who actually won the West. So with that said, uh, I think that's going to do it on Tecumseh, who is our new points winner, which that makes me feel a lot better leaving 2021 on that high note rather than his brother, who has his has the lowest score uh, at negative 10 and a half. So. And like Eric said, that would bring us to the end of 2021. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the holidays um, and you stayed safe um, again. We do have a Facebook page, uh, Ranking 76, the American West podcast. Go ahead and like our group. Um, Join it, and we will uh, for sure accept you. And then we have an email, ranking76pod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Love to hear um, any criticism um, or any positive things you have to say. We also have an Instagram page, um, Ranking 76 Podcast. And... Um, as always, give us a like, subscribe, uh, leave us a comment. Um, it would help us out a lot. Um, thank you to all the listeners that have listened so far. We hope you enjoy it. Um, we have many episodes to go. And as always, I'm Matt. Matt Eric. And we will see you next year.